Hello, it's Jack Tudor here from Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with sound artists and musicians about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Patrick Shiroishi. He's a Japanese-American multi-instrumentalist and composer based in Los Angeles, perhaps best known for playing the saxophone, both releasing solo records and also playing in bands such as Upsilon, Acrux and Sunreader. I came into Patrick through his album Tulian Dispatch, which is a solo saxophone record, but also one with a piano with a sustain pedal held down in the room as well, so you get these eerie reflections. And Patrick is someone who I know from speaking to him and also as well from listening to the records and having this conversation with him on Crucial Listening that pours absolutely everything into his horn. It's like his body melts down and just funnels through the horn. It's great. And he's put out so many releases and continues to do so every time I check back on the band camp there's something new emerging maybe a collaboration with a musician like Noel Meek or Arturo Ibarra or a solo work he's just literally put out a new tape just the other day called Beyond Stone Beyond Timeliness beats a steady universal heart I'd really recommend checking out Patrick's music I think it's always so exciting to hear someone play with absolutely everything they've got and I also really enjoyed the records that Patrick picked today it seems like he gravitates towards music of a similar intensity so you can check out Patrick's music at patrickshiroishi.bandcamp.com you can check out his website at patrickshiroishi.com and you can find out more information about Patrick's picks and previous episodes of Crucial Listening and all that good stuff over at attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening. That's enough preamble from myself. Without any further delay, Patrick Shiroishi on Crucial Listening. Patrick, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hey man, how's it going? All good. Thank you so good. much for joining me today on the show and bringing three important records with you as well. Um, in a way, I'm surprised you've had time to even compile this list. I was looking at your list of shows that you've done already this year. It's been mighty prolific. Um, what's 2019 been like so far for you as a performer? It's been really good. Um, I've been really lucky. I got to play a little festival in Seattle um, in February, uh, the beginning of February. Um, and yeah, I've done a handful of shows, maybe like 20 or something so far. So that's been really nice. And have any stood out in your mind as being like particularly memorable? Um, particularly memorable. Um, playing the festival in Seattle was really nice. Um, I got to do like a little solo set and then... There were three duos that performed uh, prior, 
to my set, and so I asked them all to play. Oh, cool. um, so the, the the instrumentation was pretty cool. It was drums, uh, upright, uh, cello, uh, French horn, trombone, and myself. Wow. Yeah. So it was a, it was a cool uh, combination. That was that was great. Yeah. When you got a combination of instruments like that, which I guess isn't something that you play with on a regular basis as a configuration Mm. does it take a while for everyone to figure out how the dynamic works and where people intersect and you know does it take a bit of a a, a time before you all settle into a thing i think it does um the i mean everyone that i played with there there i think you know they already played a set so they were kind of already in the mindset and they're really great listeners so i felt like it gelled really really quickly you've also put out a collaboration uh with Noel Meek called Break Your Eyes, which, yeah. uh, wow, the sound of that release, I mean, it's so jagged and distinctive. I've had a lot of fun with that one. I mean, what are your memories of performing with Noel on these performances that were captured on this on this release? So that was maybe, uh, maybe the third time that, no, third or fourth time that we play together. Um, we also play or have a trio with uh, the two of us and uh, Peter Kolvos on guitar. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get a release on, uh, we have like a little live thing that's coming out on Astral Spirits this year. Cool. But playing with Noel, Peter was actually supposed to be on that, on the first side. So the first side was recorded uh, the last time he came into town. And um, we were on this radio, our friend's radio show. And the three of us were supposed to play, but I guess traffic was super bad. And he couldn't get his gear set up in time. Oh, man. Like, you guys just do it. Fuck it. Because there's only like, you know, 20 minutes left in the show. I'm like, all right, all right, we'll do it. We'll set it up. Really. <laughs> um, so it kind of threw me off because I thought we were going to have uh, or another voice in the in the improvisation. Um, but it went really well. We gelled really to, uh, well together. And uh, the B side was actually recorded separate. I did my part here and then he did his part in uh, New Zealand. Wow. Which I've never done before uh, with like improvisation. Um, so he sent me over three files, and then I didn't listen to them. I kind of just wanted to keep it in the spirit of improvisation as much as possible. Uh, so I kind of just hit record and then make sure everything worked. Or the opposite way. I <laughs> made sure everything worked. And then uh, kind of just played along to it and then sent him the first takes. And then he did like a master on a, via tape. And so that's kind of why it sounds really staticky and and uh, kind of unsettling, which I really feel gives it its identity. Yeah. Yeah, there's something I think quite disconcerting. I was trying to work out what it was. Uh, something Just about the, the the acoustics, like the sense of those instruments in space feels really odd, almost like they're yeah, not in space. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> um and the other record uh, that you've put out recently is is one of your own uh, called Sparrow's Tongue, which again, like the record prior to that one, Tulian Dispatch, seems to have family and culture at the centre of it again. Um, yeah. I'm interested, what is it that pushes you to put these elements at the centre, or at least, you know, over the past couple of releases, that's certainly been the case. Um, what is it that interests you about exploring that through through music? I think it's primarily mostly have been just growing up you know mm-hmm. i think when you're younger um you know you rebel especially against family and you have things that you want to explore 
you know, in your social life or whatever. And music is primarily like a, a reflection of that. So like, I think a lot of the stuff that I was doing before was kind of trying to find my own identity and being loud for the sake of being loud or doing something really noty just for the sake of it, you know? And I think maybe three or four years ago, no, maybe three, my family has always taken me to like the Japanese American history museum where they have like a replica of uh, one of the internment shelters that they had there. Uh huh. And I would see it as a kid, but you know, I don't think anything really clicked. You know, when you're like 12 years, 12 years old, you're like, all right, mom. All right, dad, I get it. can we go home now? Yeah. <laughs> can we go eat lunch now? You know? Yeah. Um, but I think surrounding myself and becoming at an age where, you know, I personally did more research on it and, you know, that shit was fucked up. Hmm. And uh, I got to visit the actual site where my grandparents were kept um, two years ago now on tour. And it was it was haunting, man. It was it was kind of to imagine that someone was taken from their home and everything that they knew and placed in some weird fucked up place with shitty ass, you know, quote unquote houses hmm. was. I don't know. It was, I couldn't I couldn't imagine it, you know. Um, yeah. And and so I think that Tulian was. Uh, definitely a response, you know, to that. Um, and kind of just getting more into family. Like, I'm, I'm at an age now, I'm turning, <laughs> turning 32 in April. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I really would like a family, you know, in the future. Um, and, and kids and, and kind of going back into that and and imagining, you know, or realizing what my parents done for me and all the time that they put into it. And, you know, they still support me. Um, and then my grandparents also, you know, the both that were here and both that were in uh, Japan kind of made me reflect. And, you know, I'm super lucky that, you know, they were all so supportive of me. So I think it's my way of kind of reflecting on that. And also with Sparrow's Tongue, you did some very uh you, you took various approaches to playing the saxophone and exploring various different tonalities through the instrument i mean what can you tell me about the kind of techniques that we, you were using throughout the record there yeah so um i've been kind of exploring uh playing two saxophones at once um, i don't think i can ever do the roland thing and play three <laughs> oh, come on <laughs> maybe we'll see <laughs> We'll see. Um, but doing that and um, playing the soprano into the snare drum to kind of get like a weird uh, distortion effect. Um, just playing a little bit more quietly with the overtones on the tenor was kind of yeah. That was that was it. That was uh wasn't too crazy. It was a little different for me. Um, and I think moving forward, I'd like to do more um, explorations with that. I mean, it's hard. You know, saxophone, there's only so many notes you can play, and so much has been done, you know. Yeah. Um, just trying to find or be able to contribute in some way, like, oh, maybe you can do this. Or Speaking of uh, your kind of thoughts of how you're going to progress going forward, uh, what else have you got on the horizons or anything you wanted to, to mention here? 
Yeah, so I have uh, <clears throat> a little tape that I'm, that's coming out on American Damage uh, at the end of this month. Um, that's uh, on guitar, guitar and some uh, voice. Oh, you on guitar? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I have a <laughs> I have a degree in classical guitar performance, but I kind of oh, wow. shy from ever playing guitar or using guitar in any <laughs> recorded fashion, but. I don't know, I was kind of inspired one night. So yeah, that's coming out. Um, Dissension that I talked to you about, maybe that was like two years ago now, is finally coming out. Oh, great. Um, on Thin Wrist, that'll be really cool. So that'll be saxophone going through uh, guitar pedals and out of uh, a couple amps. And then uh, I have a quartet that is coming out on Astral Spirits. Uh, myself, uh, Dylan Fujioka on drums. Uh, Alex Klein on drums and Vinnie Golia on woodwinds. Also, that I'm really, really hyped to to have done, and and that is getting released. Super. Well, I'll include links in the show notes so that people can check out those releases. Because I think by the time that this drops, those at least some of them will be out at least. So, yeah, um, I'll make sure people can find them. Awesome. So, yeah. to move to your important records now so you put together a list of three and one question that i like to ask before we dive into the first record is about how you came to decide on the three records that you deem to be important and whether there's any particular uh, means of thinking about that word important that influenced your decision in coming to the three records here um i think these three um have impacted me in such a way that I still visit them now and that they still not influence, but or influence in that I, I reference to, you know, here and there um, in my own playing. Let's go into the first one then. So if you give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. All right. So um, the first one, I'll go with uh, Coltrane and Ali, the interstellar space. Uh-huh. Um, there have been many different Coltrane records that were my favorite, but this one has been, I think when I first heard it, as of many of the, the his, his albums, it kind of blew me away. And it was just that intimacy of just having a horn and drums, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of go at it. And, you know, it's very, there's not a lot of things you can hide behind. You know, and I think it's the closest to like a Coltrane solo album as we ever got. Um, but it, I don't know, man, just something about it was just really magical to hear. Um, and I have personally, I have two sax drum duos that I, that I'm in um, from that record. And this upcoming one on Natural Spirits is, you know, it's a double duo essentially, you know, two, two saxophones and two drums. Um, and that was recorded like late last year. So still, you know, I think I want to, it's interesting to me how they were able to explore things. And, you know, it's something that I still want to explore, um, as well. Nice. And do you recall how you first heard this record or where you were when you first heard Interstellar Space? Damn, I think it was in my car 
I think I bought the CD at FYE or <laughs> some music store, rest in peace. Um, but I popped it in. I think it was later. I I definitely started with um, his earlier stuff and then kind of went on deeper in his catalog. I think I got it when I was in college. And yeah, you, you know, from the, from the first seconds where it's just the sleigh bells and then they just go, it's like, damn. It's happening. <laughs> and they just kept it going for the entire record. You know, they never really let up. And yeah, it was it was inspirational, yeah. Do you know it's the second time the record's come up on Crucial Listening, actually? Really? Who was the first? A guy called Pete Simonelli, uh, vocalist of Enablers. Uh, oh, Pete. Shout out, Pete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a favorite. But um, he talked about loving Coltrane and then being blown away by the fact that this was a Coltrane record when someone told him like he heard it first and then only found out afterwards and he was like what on earth uh so I don't know what his basis was for listening to Coltrane before but I think this is certainly like a, a big leap in terms of his reference points for yeah. his music so you mentioned that there have other been there been other Coltrane records that could have been or have been your favorites at certain points um so what other records do you think were kind of in the running for also being picked here? Um, I mean, at this point, I think a lot of his later stuff resonates more, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but when I first listened to him, you know, I think the first record I got was, uh, you know, Giant Steps, like everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was My Favorite Things, and then Love Supreme, and then kind of filling in everything around that. I think Ascension is really crazy. Right. That, you know, he had so many individuals on that and a lot of up and coming people, um, you know, that didn't get a chance to, to have a record deal or he, he kind of put them on. Um, that was amazing. Uh, I really love meditations. Mm -hmm. Um, sonship was a, was a real favorite of mine. Um, I don't know. He has a lot, man. I mean, Love Supreme, of course. Yeah, yeah. What else? I really like Olay. Yes. With, uh, with Dolphy on there, you know. Yeah, so good. I also really... <laughs> I really like the... I don't think it'll ever be my favorite, but the John Coltrane uh, quartet plays, and he plays Chim Chim Cherie. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> But it's super groovy and, and rad. I don't know. I yeah. really like it. <laughs> so many With... shades, right? It's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think Ascension was the first one that I heard. Um, which yeah, was... was the one you heard? Yeah, it was weird. Because I was like, oh, right. This is Coltrane. I've heard of him. But, I, you know, uh, that was a really strange way to come in. Um, yeah. So then I started to kind of... I guess I kind of worked backwards from a lot of people. So I only then found that he also worked in with like structure and form as well in like a more deliberate way later. But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably why Interstellar Space spoke to me quite quickly because I was like, oh, okay, this is definitely yeah. within the wheelhouse of like familiarity for me. But yeah. Um, also, that Ascension cover, man. Yeah. <laughs> And you said mentioned you first heard this in a car. I mean, th this strikes me as a really great driving record. Um, 
Is, are there places in which like you've really enjoyed listening to this this album or you know any particular like memorable listening experiences you've had with this record i think definitely on my couch with some whiskey mm. uh, with it on the the record player and i think that's definitely up there i try my best to give you know albums like your my full attention which is so hard these days just because there's shit to do, mm-hmm. you know, there's work to be done both, you know, for money and for, for music, like my own personal um, desire. And it's hard, man. You know, going to work is like 25, 30 minutes. And then even if I have something on, I'm thinking about shit. Did I fuck up anything at work today? <laughs> yeah. Is the milk still good? <laughs> you know, um, and different stuff. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to give um, your full attention to it. But um, I think when I do, it's definitely worth it. You know, um, you could hear the extra things. You can hear extra communications that you wouldn't necessarily hear if you're driving or, you know, trying not to crash. So, yeah, definitely, definitely at home. go to your second record so um yeah if you give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important as well all right um uh, magma uh-huh K-A. i fucking love magma i think magma is probably my favorite band um did you hear the record yeah 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 i listened to it quite a few times i had it on actually just earlier yeah have you heard them before no this is my first this is the first time so this was all right yeah yeah this was wild but um what do you think oh man it clicked straight away um and i've been trying to put my finger on it i was kind of listening and scrutinizing um and i was going to ask you what you thought obviously because you know that's the <laughs> thrust of the podcast but for me um i mean the fact that they're using you know, a made-up language, I started to think, gosh, that feels very integral to me, the fact that I'm not being drawn into a realm of words that I'm trying to hang something on. Uh, Something so lovely about those phonetic shapes that they're making that just fits perfectly with the instrumentation. um, Where did your journey with Magma start, then? It started, man, I want to say definitely after college. Um, I first heard of, and how did I get into it? It might've been through, I got into Ruins and Yoshida yeah, yeah. Um, at first. And then, um, just listening to that stuff and then reading up on it and saying, you know, oh, he took from, uh, Magma and he's, you know, he's vocalizing in Zool, um, or sorry, Kobayan and he's playing Zool music. And I was like, huh, what's that? And then he had this other band, uh, Koenji Hyake, which, you know, is derived from that also. And then it was kind of just like a huge um, 
hole that I dug myself into and, you know, exploring all these bands, but Magma was the originators. And, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. The, the fans of the music are like, die fucking hard, you know? (laughs) Um, And I was able to play in like a Zulbat for, for a good number of years called Karima. And we would have people who was would straight up just wear like the magma shirt, you know, to the shows. I was like, yeah, you know, you know what we're about, you know yeah. what's up. <laughs> You're our guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the first record I think I heard from Magma was uh, MDK, um, and it was just so crazy that you know it was a forty minute piece, um, so many weird parts, but still super cohesive and. Yeah, it, it was just crazy. It, it's a, it's definitely like a whole world that they created, and you know, people are people really gravitate to. And and still, I think there's a few bands you know out today that still play in that spirit, and they still play actually, and still recording. So, oh, still great. recording as well. Yeah, they're recording right now. I think, um, and they're still playing. They played. They came to LA maybe three. Uh, maybe 2014 uh-huh five years ago and then actually upsilon got to play with them at the rock and opposition festival in 2016 oh man um that was that was definitely surreal yeah um, wow i think when they came to america or la uh they played mdk somewhere in the middle of their set and i like started crying i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> actually hearing it in real time like it's crazy <laughs> um did you uh, have a chance to meet them when you played with them in Upsilon? Yeah, I uh, I shook I shook uh, Christian's hand and I didn't wash that hand for like three months. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but he he primarily only spoke French. Um, but you know, uh, I was able to talk to him a little bit and then got to speak with Stella. She was super sweet, um, super down to earth, and the rest of the guys were just super nice, also, um, which is nice to see. Yes. You know, it's, there's nothing worse than meeting someone that you idolize and they're just a piece of shit or, you know, right. they'll, like, you know, shrug you off and be like, oh, cool, man. Bye-bye, you know. Yeah, because that feeds back into the your experience of the record, I find, as well, doesn't it? If you have one of those experiences, it's like, oh, this is certainly tainted. Yeah, like, man, you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. And what is it about KA that makes it stick out for you above everything else i don't know a lot of people are going to hate me because i probably should have picked mdk (laughs) (laughs) but there was there was something about it um when i heard it and this is one of their later records this is 2014 so well over well over their existence i think it was their first record in 20 years Uh the last was merci which i don't even include in their discography oh really (laughs) yeah they just started singing in english i think they were at a, a weird point and you know playing weird music definitely does not help your you know living situation or you know your bank account right um and i think they were really trying to make it their own and and live off of it so i don't know i'm not too sure i could be making all of that up but there was just something fresh i i feel like it's very optimistic you know um mm. It is a the final part in like a trilogy that they started, I think like in seventy four. 
uh, with Contar Colts, but something about all of it just really gelled together. That ending, when they kind of just chant hallelujah like over and over and it gets more intense and faster. <laughs> I don't know, it's like a really feel good, but like, fuck. Feeling <laughs> yeah, it just, I don't know what resonated, but that one, maybe also is because you know, when I first got into them, I had all the music available to me, you know, and so I was jumping around between all of them. Right. Um, and like, you know, you don't, it's hard to give a record the time that it deserves. So I was like jumping around like, oh, MDK, like, oh, someone said that this track is really good, you know? Yes. Um, well, they have one with like, you know, seven horns on it. I got to listen to that one. Like, <laughs> you know, it was kind of jumping around and then they dropped this one first new material in a long time and i don't think they re- they released anything for another like five years so being able to give it that time and you know really dissect it was was great for me yeah so do you mean it's kind of the sense that you kind of had all their material sort of blurred together as when you're initially discovering it and then this is the first kind of coherent unit you could hear just as its own thing rather than you know, having all of their material sprawling in every direction, kind of zipping between all of it. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, it's so hard because there's so much great music that's, you know, that's already been done and discovering things is amazing. But then also I, I really enjoy a lot of music from different genres. So it's hard to like stick to one or, you know, these new hip hop records dropped this week so i'm trying to listen to all those but oh you know i heard this Harry pussy album that i haven't heard in a long time it's like oh man i forgot how good this was and just listening to that yeah yeah it's hard uh, do you worry i mean cause this is something that i think about a lot but worry about kind of spreading attention too thinly and being like gosh am i consuming more than i can realistically give my full attention yes definitely yeah but it's fucked up because i still am interested you know in all of that Mm -hmm. um so it's hard like i try and stay up today with you know all the new records that all these improvisers are coming out with and i really love um like underground hip-hop and everything that's coming out and they drop so quickly you know with with the internet like it's crazy some of these artists are dropping you know three or four studio albums a year and then you know trying to do my own stuff and then my friend's stuff and i don't know it's hard yeah (laughs) um with this magma record am i right in thinking was it kind of based on ideas that originated in the 70s and then were kind of revived when the time came to release it i think so because i think even the the kind of production of it sounds almost quite of a piece with the 70s to me for some reason i don't know if that's mm. something you hear as well i never thought of it that way but i i'll take a listen tonight i'll let you know all right <laughs>
But let's go to your final record. If you give All me right. the name of it and then why it's important. All right. So um, this album is called Throat by a by a band called Little Women. Um, so they are a quartet um, with Darius Jones, Travis Laplante, Andrew Smiley, and Jason Nazri. Um, two saxes, guitar, and drums. They put out three records, um, and I don't think they were that successful as far as financially, you know. So I think they kind of stopped making records as a band, or who knows why, you know. Um, but I think they're one of the best, like avant-garde jazz kind of thrashy groups that have ever emerged. Um, I think they first came out with Teeth in 07, and then Throat, which is this one, 2010, and then they did another one, a long form, in 2013. But yeah, this one was really aggressive. I felt like they were really expanding off of um, the first album. And yeah, it was it was beautiful, super full of energy. Mm. And they really explore things like the second track is just pure. It's just the, the saxophones and they're just pure, you know, multiphonics and they're just creating these chords um, together. And I think they had like a note on the back of the LP jack is like, play it really loud so you can hear all the frequencies we're doing. <laughs> but it was just fucking brutal the entire time. And then in the middle, um, I think it was track four. They have, like a moment where they're they have like a melody and it starts with just the horns and then the drums come in and it's just super super melodic and beautiful yeah and, and then they get back into the uh the energy and aggressiveness and yeah and then they they end it that piece in the middle sounded like a, a godspeedy black emperor track or something yeah it's you know it's sweeping yeah um, how did you first come into the band how did you first find out about them i think one of my good friends heard it um because they played at the smell which i regretfully missed and they got a cd and then uh, they never came back to the west coast i think oh man i was gonna ask so have you seen them live i have not and it bums me out oh man (laughs) (laughs) i've seen travis travis came back with battle trends and uh slow degrees um but I've never seen like the rest of the the guys play live even, so that's a definite bummer. Yeah, I I was watching videos of them, um, and looked like they were all in when they played live. Uh, yeah, and I love that. You gotta be all in, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You can't play this kind of music if it's half-assed or you know, whatever it is. They really brought, and they're just. I I feel. I truly feel like they don't give a fuck. Like at the end of the records, you know, they're they're doing the vocalizations. Yes. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people will actually, a lot of people did give them shit. I think I was on like the YouTube page when I was listening to it, um, the other day and like people were just clowning on him, you know, and saying what, just like, what is this music? Or like, what are they doing? Like having sex with each other or, you know, like just really mean things or like, you know, they, they obviously are not. They probably listen to fucking, you know, top 40 hits and that's it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're just all in. And that's that's a great thing. That's something that I want to do when I play, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I also saw Travis. So Travis played at the Blue Whale venue here. Um, this was super early on, and he did a solo set. Um, and there was, I think, a total of nine or ten people in that in that room. But he he played his heart out, and that shit was awesome. I think it was one of the best things like I've I've ever seen. You know. Wow. And it was to us like you know. It was to 10 people, but he still went all in. You know, he didn't get bummed out like, oh, there's only 10 people here. Yeah. Fucking sucks. I'm all the way across the country to play, you know. <laughs> yeah. But he, he fucking went for it. And, you know, I still think about it, you know, to this day. And that was, you know, maybe eight, 10 years ago. So. Yeah. It struck me when I saw, when I was watching a video of them. I think there's a point where the two saxophonists are outside. Uh, kind of whimpering into their instruments and then there's even someone who kind of taps one of them on the shoulder is like come on let's go inside and he yeah doesn't react at all it's just it's almost like he's not even aware that there is anyone playing witness to what's going on which is yeah <laughs> intense yeah it's great i think a couple of them are now playing in a band called blur is that right yes yes you're a fan of that as well yeah, i'm uh i'm friends with sam um, and I love that record also. It's it's really great. Um, I really hope they tour over here. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Finally get your chance. <laughs> or maybe I should just go over there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's great to see the the rhythm section. You know, um, it's great. It's a it's a really great record. Um, I think Andrew Smiley he also put out like a guitar solo record, um, and that shit was really great. Uh, total one eighty from like the abrasiveness that he shows in, in both of these bands. But yeah, I just love that. I also just love that mix between composition and improvisation, especially when it's really hard um, rhythms or things that you don't expect, you know, and time changes and things like that. I, I really respect that. Yeah. I think there's something quite disarming about when you have an improvisation that breaks into composition or vice versa you suddenly have to do a mental shift to be like, oh, wait, hang on, there's some premeditation going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely sort of knocks you sideways, I think, if if it's done in a way which is particularly potent. Definitely. Uh, Andrew Smiley, I think he's he played on a in a band called Happy Place as well, I believe. Did you check that out at all? Dude, I don't, I don't know that album. Oh, man. I'll, What's it like? Uh, it's like, um, it's kind of like a math rock thing, but it more that it feels like it's falling apart it's really cool i'll I'll send you a link after this because um it was i think it came out in 2016 and it was one of my faves oh uh, shit yeah um yeah i'll link you definitely cool thank you do you have a favorite track on throat do you think um it would have to be between the pretty one uh four <laughs> and then also uh the first track just the way they open it Oh. like super energetic the rhythm's all fucked up they're going hard um it reminds me a lot the on their first ep um it's also just numbers but number one it's just the way it starts just like right off the gate and the drums and guitar just kind of lock into some this rhythm and then the horns come back in it's just i love shit like that i love the energy <laughs> you know yeah 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 i think at this point in the podcast i imagine i'll play just the first bit from throat like the first 30 seconds or so yeah
right well um patrick this has been awesome thank you so much for talking these records through with me and uh and talking about listening generally it's been a lot of fun yeah thanks for having me man and if people want to keep up to speed with what you're doing online good luck to them but if they want to try whereabouts should they be going to to do that um my band camp has a lot of uh stuff and then also um i try and be as up to date on uh, my website just my name.com cool well thank you once again and to everyone listening i'll see you next time all right thank you